the ninth commandment, uh, Exodus 20, verse 16. Uh, and as we have done, uh, it gradually gets longer and longer each week because every week I go back to verse 1 and read the whole sort of setting and context. And so, uh, let me ask if you're able, uh, please stand as we read God's Word together. Exodus 20, beginning in verse 1, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God, and on it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant, your female servant, your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Will you pray with me? Uh, We pray, O Holy Spirit, that you would be at work. Uh, It is your uh, responsibility, your function within the the Trinity uh, to... Uh, Work through this, your word, to conform us more and more to the image of Christ. Would you use it to root out sin in our lives, to grow us in our hatred for our sin and our love for Jesus? We pray this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, How old are you? Don't answer. I really don't want to know. Uh, I'm 39. Right? That's... That's kind of the thing. I'm 39. Who knows how many times, but I'm 39. Um, does this make me look fat? Oh, of course not. Um, somebody, maybe this doesn't happen as much anymore because so few people have home phones and, and you carry your phone in your pocket. But somebody calls the house and you say, tell them I'm not here. Uh, those sound simple enough. Um, we even have a term, a fishtail. That's, that's not necessarily telling a story about a fishing trip you went on. It's telling a story about a fish you caught, which suddenly grows an inch or two or a pound or two every time you tell the story. Th- those things are simple enough, aren't they? I mean, there's, there's, for us, there's lying and then there's lying. Right, there's, there's, there's telling a lie, and then there's, well, this is kind of the fuzzy part. This is kind of the sketchy part. And, and a lot of times, we sort of create this distinction between really lying and, and lying that's not really lying. 
But where do you draw the line? Because we could always look back to the, the, the college football coach from Georgia Tech who got hired by Notre Dame to come be their, their coach, and he didn't last a week. Never coached a game. Wasn't even there a week. You know why? They discovered he had lied on his resume about playing college football at a fairly nobody school. At Where do we draw the line? Where do we sort of set the boundaries around? Well, this is lying, but this really isn't so much lying. Or, perhaps more common, did you hear about all the problems that so-and-so is having? You know, they, they argue all the time. I, I, he's, he's gone all the time. He's, he's never at home. I think she's spending way too much money. They're having marriage problems. And, and quite honestly, he's drinking too much. I, in fact, somebody told me that they might even both be having an affair. But I tell you this so you can pray. It's crazy the things we do to nuance and spin and hedge and to make sure we have all the right in the, in the world to lie, to stretch the truth, to talk about other people, to drag other people's name and character through the mud and to make it sound acceptable, maybe even pious and holy. You know, the reality is if the, if the sixth commandment is, uh, has perhaps the highest approval rating in the world in which we live, this one actually has one of the lowest approval ratings, except at least in our practice. We all would gladly say, well, yes, we know it's wrong to lie. But then when we put it into practice... We kind of throw the commandment out the window. And for that matter, the rest of Scripture out the window. The, the language of the commandment in verse 16 uh, has a courtroom in mind. The word used for neighbor sort of communicates um, a, a member of the covenant community and a, a sort of courtroom setting bearing false witness. The verb kind of carries with it a courtroom setting. Of course, last week we, we pointed out all the security cameras we have around our home. And so maybe these days in a, in a courtroom, and plus you're all carrying cameras in your pocket. And, and people today, if something seems to be sketchy out there, we'll start videoing it and make sure we post that on social media for all the world to see. So maybe this isn't as big a deal in today's world as it was then. But then, you know, you didn't have cameras you didn't have security cameras around your home. You, you, you couldn't video everything that was going on. And, and so all courtroom proceedings relied on the testimony of witnesses. People who would come and speak to the, either the character or to events that they actually saw. Also, in that world, you were guilty until proven innocent. Not innocent until proven guilty. You see the danger. The assumption is you did it. 
And now you need somebody to come along and clear your name or else the punishment is going to fit the crime. You can see how that world, that reality could have been abused. And so that's the the context. That's the, the aim and intent, at least, of the language of verse 16. It has this courtroom sort of setting in mind. The thing is, I, I don't really know how much time you actually get to spend witnessing, testifying in a court of law. Because here's the thing, if that's the only setting in which this commandment applies, I've never broken it. I've never been called into court. I've never been hauled into a courtroom as a witness to an event. And so therefore, I've never broken this ninth commandment. Let's move on. But as we've seen, the the last now, this is well the previous eight weeks, we've watched as we've taken the words of the commandment and then how Scripture sort of unpacks that commandment in a variety of settings. And this commandment is no different. The Bible includes ultimately a wide variety of sins of the tongue. In fact, I assume that was you, you caught that in our affirmation of faith, that it had more to do than than it deals more than just with lying, but also actually honoring and promoting and protecting our neighbor's name and, and character in the world. Let me show you a few examples. Surely you're used to this by now. Uh, I say this uh, every Sunday. Uh, don't close your Bibles. Don't put them away. You're going to need them. And this warning is no different. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 12. Um, and the reality is, uh, while you're turning there, um, every Sunday, I'm conscious, I'm, I'm very sort of consciously aware of all the things we could say. That we really could preach an hour and a half sermon on on every single um, commandment. So keep in mind, we could just spend our time in Proverbs and deal with sins of the tongue and cover all the bases. Uh, We're not going to do that. Proverbs chapter 12. Verse 13. An evil man is ensnared by the transgression of his lips. But the righteous escapes from trouble. From the fruit of his mouth, a man is satisfied with good. And the work of a man's hand comes back to him. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man listens to advice. The vexation of a fool is known at once. But the prudent ignores an insult. Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence. But a false witness utters deceit. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. But the tongue of the wise brings healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is but for a moment. You can see this pattern throughout even that little short section. Verse 22, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. But those who act faithfully are his delight. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. 
Would we consider lying an abomination? Okay, we consider it an abomination if, A, it's our kids telling us a lie. Now we're getting somewhere. Or if someone has lied to me about something that particularly matters to me. But I mean, a little white lie. We actually have a term for a lie that we call acceptable by giving it little white in the front of it. We didn't change the fact that it's a lie. We didn't say it wasn't a lie, but we downgraded it from really bad lie to a little white lie. We ignoring the fact that it's still a lie. But to God, lying tongue, lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. We could just as easily... I don't know how many of you would, I can't read Proverbs 6, 16 to 19 without hearing Judy Rogers in my head. I don't know how many of you, if any of you have any clue who Judy Rogers is. She sang, she's actually the wife of a PCA pastor who created a sort of a series of like children's songs and things. And, and she literally could sing through the Ten Commandments. Like, like there, there are stories of, Men coming out of seminary on the floor. This has nothing to do with anything. Coming out of seminary on the floor of, of Presbytery, being examined and being asked, can you name the, the Ten Commandments in order? And they say, can I sing the Judy Rogers verse? Like, this is who we're talking about. In, in Proverbs 6, there's six things, even seven the Lord hates. Things he cannot stand. And in that list, a lying tongue, a false witness who breathes out lies, one who sowed, sows discord, among his brothers. All of them sins of the tongue. All of them in the same list as hands that shed innocent blood. We have a hierarchy. Shedding innocent blood is an abomination. Sowing discord with your brothers, it's a bad idea. But in the Bible, they're all lumped in the same list. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. And let's just watch as the, as the list expands uh, yet again uh, to include other sins of the tongue. Romans chapter 1, verse 29. And in this passage, uh, Paul's writing about those people who um, it kind of begins really back in verse 24, 18, and then 24, suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. God gives them over to their own uh, to their own sinful nature. Verse 29, they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetous, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers. Haters of God, by the way, disobedient to parents, is in the same list. I always feel an obligation to point that out. But in this list of sort of character traits of, that describe people who are left to their own sinful designs, who are suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, is, are these sins of the tongue, gossips and slanderers and deceit, all sort of sins of the tongue that deal with various levels of either telling an untruth 
or, or dragging the name and character of another person through the mud, regardless of whether the things you're saying are true. Just because it maybe actually happened doesn't give us the right to automatically spread the news everywhere we go. Gossip, spreading stories about other people. Sometimes they're true. Slander is uh, not true. By the way, libel and slander are the same thing. One's verbal, one's written. So there's your distinction. Um, And so you see this pattern of sins of the tongue forbidden by God's word. You say, oh, but I'm not really slandering. I'm not really gossiping. It's not really gossip. It's a prayer request. I promise. And the, the point is so that we can tell everybody so that more people can be praying. Well, that's that's a, a warning here. There's a fine line between a prayer request and gossip. You hear the the way Scripture steps on our toes. We know lying. Okay, lying's bad. We get that. Telling an outright lie. But then we sort of hem and haw about what really qualifies as a lie and whether it's really a big deal or not. And is it really a lie? And is it kind of how close to the edge can I get? And then, oh, but gossip. Whoa, hold on. Slander, talking about other people. Even if I couch it as a... As a you, you hear how this is how our... Our mouths work. This is how we work, unfortunately. And the music man plays in your head. Pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, talk a little. Cheap, cheap, cheap. Talk a lot, pick a little more. Or Oreo Speedwagon. Talk is cheap when the story is good. That's how we... That's how we function. In fact, turn back to Exodus chapter 23. Let me just show you... Um, In Exodus 23, and we'll be there, okay, eventually, before too much longer. We really are still in a series in Exodus, even though this nine weeks, well, probably 10 or 11 weeks now, may not feel like it. Uh, But in Exodus 23, so in Exodus, after Exodus 20, verses starting in Exodus 21, for the next several chapters, you get these sort of case laws. You get God telling His people how to apply the Ten Commandments in various settings. Notice how Exodus 23 begins. You shall not spread a false report. You shall not join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness. You think, think about it. We, we, we want to be cool. We want to be in the cool crowd. We want to feel like we are somebody. We want to feel like we have something on somebody. We may even want to feel like we're better than other people. There are a whole host of reasons why we might spread false reports. But the commandment here is not to engage in that. In fact, the reality is that we should be in the habit as soon as someone says, I need to tell you about our practice probably ought to be stop right there. Before you go any further, I don't want to know unless I absolutely need to know. We can help guard and protect the the reputations of our brothers and sisters in Christ in how we handle the things that we know and who we talk to and how we talk about it and, and and whether or not we even listen 
This, this is where you get permission to do that sort of, you know, three, four, five year old thing. Stick your fingers in your ears and go, I'm not listening. I'm not listening and run. That actually probably is a biblical response to the possibility that we're about to hear gossip or slander or some sort of false report. But there's another example of violating this commandment that we might easily miss. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 23. A way that we or people we know might might um, bear false witness, that might spread a false report in a way that you and I might not actually notice. We lie to each other. We lie to ourselves. We lie to God. But what about lying for God? In Jeremiah chapter 23... Verse 23. And this is a whole section on false prophets. And we could read a larger section than this. But Jeremiah 23. Beginning in verse 23. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? That's Psalm 139. I have heard what the prophets have said. Who prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed, I have dreamed. How long shall there be lies in the heart of the prophets who prophesy lies and who prophesy the deceit of their own heart, who think to make my people forget my name by their dreams that they may tell one another, even as their fathers forgot my name for Baal. Let the prophet who has a dream tell the dream. But let him who has my word speak my word faithfully. What has straw in common with wheat, declares the Lord. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Do you hear the warning? There are people going out there saying, God has told me to tell you. If God has not told you, and, and if there's new revelation in, not in Scripture, then I'm just going to tell you He hasn't told you. But if you're out there saying, God told me to tell you this, or God told me He wants you to do this, or God told me... You're lying and giving God the credit. Now, I'm not talking about the way the Spirit works through the Word to prick our conscience to to teach us, to lead us, to guide us into all truth, which is how what Jesus says the role of the Spirit will be. But when we claim the office of prophet, when we claim this position of having a direct line from God, a direct message from God, and then go out and, and say it and spread it, we're falsely testifying against God and His character. You know how this works? You've seen this. The, the guy back in 10, 15 years ago who predicted several ends of the world and kept getting it wrong and going back and redoing his 
math. Or the, the preacher who has said that coronavirus was God's punishment for LGBT sins. Or the preacher in California who said that God told him Trump would win a second term. We know how this works. It's subtle. We, we know the, the big sort of public ones like those, but those subtleties of a friend who says, you know, God told me he wants you to do this or to do that. Don't bear false witness in the name of God as though that somehow gave it weight and truth. Well, how seriously does God take these sins of the tongue? And like I said, we, we could spend days examining all sorts of passages where a variety of sins of the tongue are included. How seriously does God take these sins of the tongue? Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy 19 verse 15. A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. If malicious witness, if a malicious witness arises to accuse a person of wrongdoing, then both parties to the dispute shall appear before the Lord, before the priests and the judges who were in the office in those days. The judges shall inquire diligently, and the witness is a and if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. As a a way of preventing false testimony. If you're found to be giving false testimony, if you're found to be telling lies about the person, the events, the character of the person who's been charged, then what would have happened to him is going to happen to you instead. Actually, for that matter, you can back up to um, Deuteronomy 17. And we're told um, it takes two or three witnesses to convict, uh, to condemn a man to death. And the witnesses, and I didn't write the verses down, so I'm trying to scramble. But the witnesses themselves are the first to throw the stones. In other words, you better be sure that what you're saying is true. Because if what you're saying is found to be false, you will be received the punishment that the accused would have received. And if you are telling the truth and the accused is to be put to death, you have the responsibility to put your money where your mouth is and to be the first two or three, you wouldn't be alone, to throw the first stone. You say, well, but, but Jeff, that's the Old Testament and that's stoning people. We don't stone people today in the church. We don't do that anymore. We're New Testament. See, like that's gone, right? That's, that's then. What about now? Well, in the list in Galatians 5, verses 20 and 21, there's a list of sins. The works of the flesh are evident. And we're told that these are people who don't inherit the kingdom of God. And in that list, envy, Dissensions, 
rivalries, strife, all start with the tongue. God takes the sins of the tongue seriously. So much so that those who put a practice to those things won't inherit the kingdom of God. What's so enticing about these sins? Why the draw? Why is talk so cheap when the story is good? I think there's a host of reasons. I want to point us to three. Two of them by way of application, actually. If you think about it, we, we, we need to, we have this sense that, um, I lied, I jumped ahead a point. We have this sense that when we talk bad about other people, we can make ourselves look good. You go in for an interview. You've got a job interview. You happen to know somebody else who's applying for the same job and you can slide in a little comment about that person that would make them look bad in the eyes of this potential employer that would make you look like the better candidate and him or her like the lesser candidate. It's self-serving. It's selfishness. It's, it's the heart of a man who feels the need or a woman who feels the need that if we, if we can make ourselves look better by making other people look better. Worse, There's some sense that my value rides on your opinion of me. And so I'm going to tell a lie so that you think good of me. Or I'm going to say something bad about them so you think bad of them. And therefore, better about me. You hear the thread, right? You hear the theme? When we engage in these sins of the tongue, our target is our glory. We're looking somehow for our own honor and our own protection. In other words, before the words are ever a problem, the heart is the problem. Turn to Matthew chapter 15, and we've done this just about every week. Because what Jesus says in Matthew 15 applies just about every week. Or we haven't done it just because we didn't want to do it yet again. Matthew chapter 15, verse uh, 16. Matthew 15, 16. Um, well, 15. I'll start in verse 15. Peter said, can you explain the parable to us? He said, are you still without understanding? Verse 17. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the mouth come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, so far so good, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands, it might make you sick. It might even, I guess, in theory... Kill your body. So wash your hands. But that's just your body. What comes out of your mouth is your heart, is a reflection of our standing before God. And you can see the list. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out in verse 19, that's the second table of the law. 
He just reread the Ten Commandments. Murder, adultery, sexual immorality, that's six and seven. Theft, eight. False witness, slander, nine. He's just referring to the law. What comes out of our hearts. Gossip, slander, lies. It all reflects a heart that is self-serving, self-focused. Why do these sins offend God so deeply? And this is where three, the last two are basically applications. Uh, again, a whole host of reasons, I'm sure. The first, I want you to think about this. Uh, because God cares for the reputations of His people. The way He cares for His own, this is essentially a horizontal version of the third commandment. Don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Don't say things about Him that aren't true. Don't use a name or describe His character in ways that are inconsistent with who He actually is. In a lot of ways, this is a, essentially a horizontal application of the third commandment. Just as we shouldn't defame the character of God by lying about who He is or what He does or what He's accomplished or, or how He operates in the world, we have a responsibility to guard and protect the reputation of our fellow man as far as it depends on us. A second reason uh, sins of the tongue offend God so deeply, and this one's much clearer in Scripture. God hates lying because He is truth. He is in Himself, in His being, truth itself. And so He hates lying because that ain't Him. That's not who he is. Let me remind you, by the way, we're in Exodus 20. The Israelites are gathered around Mount Sinai. They've been brought out of verses 1 and 2. I've delivered you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, out of slavery. And I've brought you here and I'm giving you my laws. And so we know, and I've said this every week, we know the Ten Commandments were not given to people in order to save themselves. They are given to already redeemed people, already saved people. But verses 1 and 2 remind you that God Himself doesn't lie. Because Exodus 20 verses 1 and 2 are a promise made to Abraham 400 years ago. He told Abraham, look, I'm, I'm going to make your, uh, make your people a great people, a nation, and, and kings, and all this. Oh, and by the way, you're going to spend 400 years in Egypt. And then I'm going to bring them out. He told Abraham 400 years ago what was going to happen. In other words, just because there's a 400-year delay doesn't make God a liar. Just because He doesn't function on our timetable doesn't make Him a liar. And in fact, the fact that Israel is gathered right now, not in Egypt and around Mount Sinai, is evidence that He fulfills His promises. You and I need God to keep His promises. We need to worship a God who is Himself truth. Reminds you, of course, John eight forty four, where Jesus calls the devil a liar and the father 
of lies. Remember what he said to Eve. You will not surely die. He doesn't, he really, God really, see the problem is, he just doesn't want you to be like him. You're not going to die if you eat this fruit. Come on, Eve. Really? A liar and the father of lies. By the way, this reminds us of Christmas, right? This is, this is why, I mean, we're going to have a Christmas Eve service. Our first ever Lessons in Carols Christmas Eve service, for which we are excited. I am excited. You better be. Um, and, and you know good and well that any half-decent, I shouldn't say that, but any half-decent Lessons in Carol service, you're going to read John 1, 1 to 14. Because you're going to read, you know, that, that Christ has come and tabernacled among us, dwelt among us. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You know that part of verse 14. Do you remember the end of verse 14? The only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Why are sins of the tongue such a big deal to God? Why do they offend Him so deeply? Because they are completely antithetical to Him. And if He's called us to be His and to be more and more like Jesus, then we should grow in our hatred for lying, for sins of the tongue, that we might speak truth just as our Heavenly Father is Himself truth and our older brother is Himself truth. Which brings us to a third reason. That telling the truth is so important to God. That speaking rightly about other people is so important to God. And it's this. If you're in Christ, what does God say about you? Oh, that good for nothing. There he goes again. She did it again. She failed again. I don't know what I'm going to do with this kid. This disobedient, rebellious child of mine, I'm going to have to smack him again. I'm going to have to take, bend him over my knee and give this woman a spanking because there she goes again, gossiping again. There that guy goes again, lying through his teeth. Is that how God speaks to his children? No. He looks at his children and says, are you a sinner? Well, yeah. But you're my child. And I love you because of Christ. And because of when He looks at you, He sees you covered in the blood and righteousness of Christ. And He says to you, You're mine and I love you. He speaks truly about you. The way a heavenly father would. The way a loving and perfect and sinless father would. He tells you, call me father. He doesn't harass you about your disobedience. He doesn't chase after you because there you go again, doing it all wrong. When Satan tempts me to despair or tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there. Who made an end of all my sin. Jesus was born 
and died for liars. For people who are gossips, for slanderers. Yes, they don't inherit the kingdom of God unless they are redeemed by Christ and are being remade in the whole man after his image. While Satan is busy reminding you of your guilt and your shame and all the things you're doing wrong and all the ways that you mess up, filling your head with lies, God the Father looks at you and says, you are my Child, once I have you, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Once I hold you, nobody can snatch you out of my hand. Sinner, look to Christ. And there find forgiveness for your sins of the tongue. Let's pray together. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you for this Uh, sure and certain hope of forgiveness in Christ that we who are guilty of using our tongues to slander our fellow image bearers when instead we should be using them to honor and glorify you. We pray that you would so work in our hearts. Draw us to Christ. Point us to forgiveness there. Remind us that you are truth and may we more and more reflect our older brother in whose image we are being remade, to the honor and glory of Christ our Savior and King. Amen.